Welcome to the Just Thinking Podcast with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is the Just Thinking Podcast. Let's think. We're back with another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on there, Oma? He he he. It's been a minute, man. I feel like it's What's been too on? long, man. What's going on, Apostle? <laughs> all, right, all right, Bishop. All right, Bishop. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, oh, wow. You know, I, you know, I spent several years in banking and finance. So one of the things I still like to do is I watch CNBC in the mornings and see what mm-hmm. the markets are going to be doing and everything. You know, I, I remember whole... you. I remember you doing that when I was when I was with you uh, a few. Yeah, few weeks man. Ago, but a couple months. Yeah, ago. yeah. When you, when you yeah when you stayed with us here at uh, for the Truth Matters conference, right? Yeah. Or was it? Yep. Um, yep. No, no, no. It was Shepcon. Um, was Shepcon. Shepcon. Yeah, it was yeah. Shepcon. Yeah. So yeah, so I watch all the markets, man. I'm flipping between CNBC, Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox Business, I watch them all. And it's kind of interesting because during this whole COVID-19 situation, uh, companies now, you know, they report the public companies anyway, they report their quarterly earnings and everything. And they'll have their CEO on or their CFO on or their CIO on or the chief technology officer. They got all these titles for these officers who are really high up in the organization. But The C-suite, you know, the C-suite. I, I, the, the, the C-suite, guys. But see, you and I, we can't do that, see, because we don't have a we don't have an organization here at the Just Thinking Podcast. It's just <laughs> it's just us. So we just have to use ecclesiastical titles because those titles are free. They don't cost anything. <laughs> 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 well, that, now, that, so depends on, that, that depends on the denomination. You can actually pay well, for your apostleship. <laughs> In some denominations, I'll have you know. Oh my gosh, man! So yes, I I feel like come on, and just call you apostle, man. How about that? Man? It make, make you feel important. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, man. That's but if, it feels like it's been it feels like it's been a while, doesn't it? I mean, although it's, it's kind of weird. I was talking to my wife uh, Melissa about this uh, a couple of days ago about how in God's providence, you know, because prior to COVID nineteen. You and I, right, because of our respective travel schedules and, and, and demands on the day job, man, we were, we were wondering it might be several months before we even mm-hmm. got an, an episode a month out. We were really right. worried about that. Yeah. yeah. But now, man, look at this. We, I think we're yeah. doing an episode every two weeks during the, yeah. during the COVID uh, situation, right? Yeah, it's been good. And, and it almost needed to be two weeks for the attention that the at least the previous podcast has has received man the one that we did on on um, the church and pornography or pornography in the church pornography in the church uh yeah. man that's been that is the, the response from that has been overwhelming I, I i i know i say this often because i i still feel this way i'm I'm blown away by it, by the response that anybody has with regard to one of our shows. But this this one, man, was just jaw dropping. Some of the testimonies that came out of that folks who oh, who, who either overcome uh, the struggle with pornography or still dealing with it or just just folks who genuinely appreciated the fact that we that we took on the topic. It was really, really interesting to see how that all unfolded. What, what are your thoughts about that? 
Yeah, you know, you talk about the testimonies that we've gotten, and we get feedback on pretty much every so every every episode that we've mm-hmm. done, yeah. or that we do. But on topic like that, on pornography in the church, we've had people volitionally, just of their own volition, voluntarily, say to us on social media via email how that episode impacted them. Yeah. And as we record this episode today, today is Sunday, May third. Uh, we released the pornography episode two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And that episode has received over 9,000 downloads wow. in two weeks, in just two weeks. And God is using that episode in ways that, as you already articulated, we, we never, we never thought, we just yeah. never thought. Because when you and I sit behind the mic, you and I, we talk about these topics, right, Omaha? Because this is stuff we want to talk about, you right, and I, right, right, we want right, to talk right, about this. Right. We don't really factor in. Uh, what what anyone else may think, or if we think the co- the, the the topic is going to be relevant to right. a broader audience, we, we never consider that. You and I agree on topics that we think between the two of us. Yeah, we find relevant, interesting, uh, germane to a situation or something like that. So we either agree right. or not agree on a topic on that basis alone. Right. Um, right. And the pornography in the church episode, we found that topic compelling because the church as a whole is not talking about it. Right. That's not talking right. about it. So that's that's why we we did an episode on that topic. It wasn't because we think uh, pornography is it, and, and it is it is a problem in the church, and we say that in the episode. But that that wasn't the driver for no. us doing the episode. We thought if it was people, a compelling if, topic. Yeah, if people could only sit, if people could only sit and listen to some of the, uh, the, the now we got a little bit of a, of a crew helping us out with with just thinking man we got we got charles still, still, Dwayne, still, we got still unpaid though still 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 unpaid all volunteers <laughs> all volunteers in fact i i want my paycheck doubled by the way just so you know but <laughs> oh you want an you want an extra zero behind right, that i need an extra the, zero with the, with zeros the zeros that are already there, there. <laughs> if if people could sit in on those on those uh, conversations that we have I mean, you've got Dwayne, you got Charles. They're all trying to tell us, you know, what would be the popular thing, what would be the the thing. And and, and I'm, and, yeah, and I'm, and I'm, well, here's, here's the crazy part. I'm I'm real close. To, I'm 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 close to it because I've got kind of that marketing mindset. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that might be all right. Only to have you come on and be like, no, we definitely not doing that. No, no we're not we doing that. So yeah, we we do have a little bit of a team that has come together. Uh, thanks to Dwayne, Charles, uh, Rachel, and yes, uh, yeah, so, man, doing a fantastic job with, job with our uh, graphics on social media and everything. But yeah, but for the most part, again, that's how we that's how we decide on the topic. Man. It's very simple. It's very mm-hmm. simple. You and I will text one another. We either thumbs up it or we thumbs down it. If yep. we thumb down it, we'll we'll wait until the Lord convicts us with something yeah. and then we'll roll with it. Yep. But the pornography in the church episode has just been absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so thank you all for taking the time to listen to that episode. And, uh, we just praise God for what he's doing through that episode. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Absolutely. But yeah, but, so I, go ahead. I was just going to, I was just going to, I was going to tease this up and just kind of open up with this. We've gotten w- with regard to the, the folks who are reaching out, 
folks wanting to help, folks wanting to be a part of the team. I, I do want to open up by saying there's some ways that that we're we're trying to open up ways that you can support the show, uh, ways that you could connect with us via sponsorship and and the like. And so I just want to te- I want to tease that up real quick. If you're interested in partnering with us or sponsoring a show, there's some ways that you can get at us. P- people interested in in partnering with with us can jump onto PayPal. Uh, the, the contact for that will be or the or the link for that will be in the show notes or Patreon. You could partner with us that way. You could also partner with us by sponsoring an episode. And while you and I just focus on content, we've got Dwayne and Charles and other folks who are focused on the sponsorship. But the email for that will be in the show notes as well. So you can you can connect with just thinking. I just want to put that out there because we, we're getting more and more requests all the time for people saying, hey, a love the show. B, how can we support you guys? What kinds of things do you need? And so far, I mean, we've been doing everything that we that has been right. done. I mean, I, yeah. out, out of our own pocket. I know you you've got some money invested in into you know space to save for what we're doing and uh, and the like. I know Dwayne has some as well for for some of our hosting and things. And so, if folks are interested in in in, in being sponsors of Just Thinking, definitely get at us. All the all the contact info will definitely be in the show notes. We would love an opportunity to connect with you there. So I just wanted I wanted to tease that up up front. Absolutely. Thanks for saying that, Omaha. You know, um, as we record this episode of the Just Thinking podcast, restrictions related to the COVID-19 quarantine remain in place for countless millions of people, not only in the United States, but around the world. And consequently, people are having to deal with all manner of disruptions to their previously normal life routines, habits, customs and practices, things they've been used to doing every day. But unfortunately, along with those disruptions come the frustrations, the annoyances, the grievances that often are the fleshly fruits of having our lives unexpectedly and albeit providentially interrupted. And as Christians, we're not averse to responding in that way. We're not averse to responding to these unexpected interruptions in our flesh. Right. So being a Christian does not mean we automatically are immune to falling captive to what I call the myth of certainty. You know, the assumption or the presumption that the way things are today are going to be that way tomorrow and the next day and so forth. Right. Nor are we exempt from being enamored by the mirage of inevitability so that when the unexpected does occur in our lives in such a tangible and discernible way as have these coronavirus restrictions, Our response is often one that more resembles the world than the church. Now, I say that with a complete understanding of and appreciation for what it looks and feels like to lose a job, to be anxious about how you're going to pay the mortgage or the rent from one month to the next, or keep the utilities paid, or have food on the table each day. As a child, I was raised in one of the most dangerous and decrepit public housing projects In the city of Atlanta, it was called Dixie Hills, still there today. My father, as a child, my father was rarely home during my childhood as he often worked two and three jobs. Mm. My mother, my mother, who worked for many, many years of her life as a public school cafeteria cook, will sometimes have to bring home with her some of that government labeled food that was contained in cans so that we would have something to eat. All right. So I know what ketchup sandwiches and mayonnaise sandwiches and syrup sandwiches and mustard sandwiches taste like. Right, Omaha? You feel me? I know a little bit about that. Yep. I know from experience what it's like to have to live with rats and roaches crawling alongside you. And I'm not exaggerating. I know what that feels like, what it feels like to get nothing for Christmas on some years because your parents didn't have enough money 
to buy you anything. So I know what it's like to have to do without. And when I say do without, I'm referring to the basic necessities of life like food and clothes. I'm not talking merely about doing without the things you would like to have. I'm talking about doing without the things you need to have. Okay. Now, my point is sharing all that with our listeners is not to garner any degree of retroactive pity for myself. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, God has been incredibly gracious to me over the course of my life. And for that, I am inexpressibly grateful. I have absolutely no complaints whatsoever. My point is sharing all that with our listeners is this, okay? It doesn't take years of material poverty or something on the scale of a global pandemic to cause us to lose our spiritual bearings and become agitated with the fact that our life, at least as we've been accustomed to it, has suddenly taken a turn that is both unexpected and in this case, unwanted. The truth is we often lose perspective when situations that are on a much smaller scale occur such as when the Wi-Fi goes down or when the traffic light takes too long to change from red to green or when the line at the drive-thru is too long or when the coffee isn't hot enough or doesn't taste just right. Now, those are just a few of the examples of relatively small inconveniences and interruptions to our life that happen on an almost daily basis. And yet, though we may not think so at the time, Our responses to those situations speak directly to the condition and attitude of our heart. And what I mean by that is that in those moments when we find ourselves in the midst of those unannounced or unexpected interruptions in the routines of our life, we are demonstrating a level of dissatisfaction and discontentment with what God has providentially allowed and ordained to occur. Mm. And rest assured of this, rest assured of this, my listening friend. There is nothing that happens in your life, no matter how small or how seemingly insignificant that God has not ordained to occur. Nothing. Okay. Now, in saying that, I'm reminded of Article 13 of the Belgic Confession of Faith from 1561. Article 13 of the Belgic Confession of Faith says this, quote, we believe that the same God, after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will so that nothing happens in this world without his appointment, Mm. unquote. That's Article 13 of the Belgic Confession of Faith of 1561. Now, those words from the Belgic Confession uh, remind me of what Scripture says in Psalm 139, verse 16. Psalm 139, verse Verse 16 says this of God. It says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Psalm 139, 16 that was. So I'm just reiterating the point that there is nothing that happens, regardless how small that happens in your life without God's providential appointment. So, With all that as a backdrop, okay, what we want to talk about in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is Christian contentment. Christian contentment, which when you really think about the phrase Christian contentment, Omaha, it seems to be somewhat of an oxymoron because according to scripture, Christians by definition Mm. are to be people who are content. Mm -hmm. For example, as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, for we have brought nothing into the world. 
So we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. So by definition, Christians are to be a contented people. Thoughts on that, Omaha? Now, I, I love the way you open that up. And, and as we consider kind of where we are uh, in, in the cultural context where, where we've got a worldwide pandemic and all kinds of issues related to that indirectly, loss of job, loss of house, loss of, you know, people dealing with issues around food. I loved how you how you kind of opened that up. You mentioned the Belgic Confession of Faith. And I think I'd shared with you in a text that I had been spending some time walking through one of the Heidelberg catechisms, uh, Heidelberg catechism and, and kind of answering some of the questions. And the first question in the introduction of the Heidelberg catechism of 1563, it asked this question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And uh, mm-hmm. I, the, the, the answer to that has, has been something of great comfort to me as I spent some time not only reading the answer, which I'll read to you in a, in a moment, but studying the scriptures related to the answer. Right. And so so mm-hmm. the question again is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer to that is that I am not my own, but belong mm-hmm. body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It goes on to say he has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way, get this, that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him, end quote. I think I think that's a powerful it, that has served as a wonderful reminder for me uh, in this time of absolute uh, uncertainty. And and I, I've, I've spent some time unpacking the text of Scripture related to that response so that it, it becomes the center. It becomes the grounding uh, by which I, I, I begin to, to navigate all the issues of the day. As you mentioned earlier regarding our current condition, under Corona and the lockdown, I, I think it's easy to be stressed by the disruption. And, and it's mm-hmm. easy to compare life as we knew it only a matter of a few weeks ago to our current situation and become filled with angst about the uncertainties of life. Uh, Daryl, as you mentioned, for the Christian, our hope, our comfort, and our contentment rests in Christ. However, there seems to be a number of Christians who who, who are filled with discontentment during mm-hmm. this time, most are discontent with government. And, and, and I realize there's a there's a line between challenging the government mandate uh, and then and, and on, on one hand, on, on one end and then on the other end, blindly believing that we should all be shut up in our homes until a vaccine is available. There's, there's two mm-hmm. there's two different things that are going on mm-hmm. there. However, as believers, man, the Bible should be our blueprint for how we navigate our current condition. And to be clear, I'm content with the fact that we're going to be examining this particular subject on this episode of Just Thinking. You know, Omaha, I'm going to go off script here for a second, but in what you just read from the Heidelberg, it just really reminds me, man, of one of, if, one of, if not my favorite verse in the entire Bible. It's Ecclesiastes 7.14. Mm-hmm. That's a mm-hmm. verse that I've referred to many times on the Just Thinking podcast, as well as in some of my writings on social media and whatnot. Yep. But Ecclesiastes yep. 7.14, I would encourage every Christian 
to highlight this one, underline it, put an asterisk next, next to it. Because if you can inculcate this verse into your heart and mind, it will get you through anything, any situation. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider that the Lord has made the one as well as the other. Yeah. That's Ecclesiastes 7.14. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember that the Lord has made the one as well as the other. If you can, mm. you can, if you can hang your hat on that, you're good to go. You're good to go. So again, we're talking about Christian contentment in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. And in keeping with that theme, I want to take a second on how to look at the passage that I read earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. More specifically, I want to look at the word content in verse 8 of that passage. Okay, I'm referring back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. We're going to look at the word content there, okay? The word content in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 6 is the Greek verb archeo. It's spelled A-R-K-E-O, archeo, which means to be satisfied, to be sufficient, or to be enough. The word content appears only five times in the entire Bible. All five times, all five occurrences are in the New Testament. Now, in addition to 1 Timothy 6, 8, we have the following passages of Scripture in which the word content appears. Okay, Luke chapter 3, verse 14. All these verses I'll be reading from the non-Armenian Standard Bible translation. (laughs) Luke chapter 3, verse 14. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he, that is John the Baptist, said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely. And be content with your wages. Second Corinthians twelve ten. Second Corinthians chapter twelve verse ten. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for where when I am weak, then I am strong. Philippians chapter four verse eleven. Mm. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. And whatever circumstances I am. And then lastly, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. So the scripture is unambiguous that the people of God are to be a people who are content, a people who are satisfied. As we just read in Hebrews 13, 5, with what you have. Mm-hmm. Now, that phrase, that phrase, what you have in Hebrews 13, 5 is speaking not only in terms of our material possessions, but of our overall station and circumstance in life. OK, now to expound on that, I want to quote from the uh, biblical expositor, Matthew Henry. In his commentary on Hebrews 13, 5, Matthew Henry said this. The sin that is contrary to this grace and duty and the grace and duty of which Henry is speaking is being our being content with what you have. Okay, so when he uses the phrase grace and duty, that's what he's referring to. The duty that Christians have to be content with what we have that lines up with Hebrews 13, 5, which he's commenting on here. The sin that is contrary to this grace and duty, covetousness, which is an overeager desire for the wealth of this world and envying those who have more than we, this sin, covetousness, we must allow 
no place in our conversation. For though it be a secret lust lurking in the heart, if it be not subdued, it will enter into our conversation and discover itself in our manner of speaking and acting. We must take care not only to keep this sin down, but to root it out of our souls. The duty and grace that is contrary to covetous, covetousness, being satisfied and pleased with such things as we have, present things for past things cannot be recalled and future things are only in the hand of God. What God gives us from day to day, we must be content with, though it falls short of what we have enjoyed heretofore. And though it does not come up to our expectations for the future, we must be content with our present lot. We must bring our minds to our present condition. And this is the sure way to contentment. And those who cannot do it would not be contented, though God should raise their condition to their minds, for the mind would rise with the condition. Unquote. That was Matthew Henry in his commentary on Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. So again, what Matthew Henry is saying is that it is the duty of every Christian to be content, to be satisfied with his or her present condition, and that to be discontent is to be guilty of the sin of covetousness. Okay? But something I found particularly interesting, Omaha, in what Matthew Henry said toward the end of that comment that I just read is that we must bring our minds, this is what Henry said, we must bring our minds to our present condition mm-hmm. and that this is the sure way to contentment and those who cannot do it, that is, those who cannot bring themselves to be content with their present condition, Henry says, would not be contented though God should raise their condition to their minds mm-hmm. for the mind would rise with the condition. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want our listeners to miss the profound truth that Matthew Henry is touching on here. Henry is pointing out to us the utter futility of longing for what we, in our own estimation, would regard as a better situation than that in which, by God's providential will, he, we currently find ourselves. That is what Henry is talking about when he says we would not be contented even though God should, quote, raise their condition to their mind, unquote. That is, even if God should grant us the kind of life which, in our minds, which is really to say in our hearts, we most desire to have. The reason discontentment is futile is because, as Matthew Henry said, quote, for the mind would rise with the condition, unquote, which is to say that our nature is such that even if God were to improve our current situation so that it mirrored the kind of life we imagined or desired to have, we still would not be content as our minds would simply rise to the next level of of covetousness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is is exactly what Jesus is speaking of in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, when he says this. He says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Yeah. Thoughts on that, Omar? Man, that's a powerful section of commentary uh, that that I definitely think that we we ought to to give great consideration to. The comments from Matthew Henry, man, they brought to mind two verses of Scripture, and both of them were in Philippians 4. And and uh, one of them is is the is a, is a text of scripture that far too often is taken out of context, which is Philippians four thirteen. Uh, I think you touched on verse eleven earlier, uh, but but Philippians four thirteen says this: I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And of course, the verse is always stripped out of its context with regard to contentment and is far too often used to mean something along the lines of I will overcome this situation or or yeah. God will, yeah. or God will fix it so I can win or or something along the lines. Of, I will get the award. Right. It, it, it's it's right. one of those statements of victory after you've overcome some something big uh, with regard to but what with regard to, to some success that you're going to have in life. But but whatever form of positive thinking or self motivated mumbo jumbo that one selfishly believes this should be that, that they should accomplish by using this verse. Philippians 4.13 is almost never used to mean I will endure suffering for the sake of Christ for oh, my good man. and his glory. Wow. Right? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you, you, you just shattered some serious dreams out there, bro. Yeah, right, right. You I, shattered that, a lot of dreams with that one. That's never, it's never used to say that I will endure suffering wow. for the sake of Christ for my good and for his glory. Wow. Uh, of course, if we look at it in the context, Paul opens his letter to the church at Philippi by telling them that they, that, that it'll be granted to them. And I'm in Philippians 1 it'll be granted yep. to them for the sake of Christ that they should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Right. Mm. So mm-hmm. Philippians one twenty nine, contentment is almost never associated with one's status under difficult circumstances, but that that's exactly what the text calls for. Uh, the, the the other Philippians passage, man, that comes to mind uh, that that helps to place Philippians four thirteen in the context is Philippians four six and seven, which mm-hmm. is which is actually my my wife's favorite passage of scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mm-hmm. says, "Do not be anxious about anything." But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And, and, and the word will guard or will keep is the Greek word frueo. Uh, and and it, it means to guard or protect by military guard, either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep inhabitants from besieging a city. So mm. what what this what this actual verse is saying is that if if you're not anxious and you by with with by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your request known to God that the peace of God will actually stand guard over your heart to protect wow. it from that which would invade it. Uh, wow. in, in addition, man, I loved what, what Matthew Henry said when you when you mentioned that he talked about regarding contentment, that even if we received what we thought we desired, our minds would simply rise to the next level of covetousness. Uh, man, I think that I think that's so true. Perhaps it's especially true about American evangelicalism. Right now, now mm-hmm. while I, I recognize that the sinful heart has no mm-hmm. boundary with regard to America, but I do believe the cultural milieu that we live in lends itself uh, even to us being more susceptible to never really being satisfied with God's providential position for our lives. And scripture consistently instructs us to fight this urge as it pertains to indulging our own passions. So whether indirectly through things like the Lord's Prayer, where we're instructed to pray, give us this day our daily mm-hmm, bread, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or indirectly where Jesus teaches us during the Sermon on the Mount to consider the lilies and the birds and that they don't worry about their clothes or who feeds them, and we are much more valuable than they, discontentment, I'll stop here, discontentment actually exposes our sinful lack of gratitude as we ignore God's instruction 
which is to give thanks in every circumstance. First Thessalonians 5.18. Bro, that was powerful, man. That was seriously powerful, Omar. Thanks for sharing that, man. So, you know, Omaha, as I continue to study and become better acquainted with Reformed theology, mm. the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, has become one of my theological heroes. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who's listened to the Just Thinking podcast for any length of time knows that I quote Charles Spurgeon more often, <laughs> as will be the case in this episode. I quote Charles Spurgeon more often than probably any other historical figure in the evangelical church. And make no mistake, Spurgeon was an evangelist. Mm -hmm. That man was an evangelist. One of the many reasons why I'm such an ardent admirer of Charles Spurgeon is he is a man who persevered in serving God in the midst of great personal suffering, not the least of which was his lengthy battle with depression. In a 2017 article, a July 2017 article published on the website of the Spurgeon Center for Preaching at Midwestern Seminary titled 11 Reasons Why Spurgeon Was Depressed, mm. Charles Spurgeon is quoted as having said this, quote, I pity a dog who has to suffer what I have, unquote. That's how deep Spurgeon's depression was. Mm. Now, the aforementioned article begins with a story about an artist who once tried to paint a portrait of Charles Spurgeon. After much frustration, the artist, the artist said to Spurgeon, quote, I cannot paint you. Your face is different every day. You are never the same, unquote. The article closes with these words. Spurgeon's depression didn't hinder his ministry. In fact, it helped it. Spurgeon's many faces might have frustrated the artist trying to paint his portrait but they also gave the pastor a multifaceted empathy for the problems facing his flock. That's one reason Spurgeon was known as, quote, the people's preacher, unquote. Spurgeon called his depression, quote, a prophet in rough clothing, unquote. Wow. His weakness reminded him that as humans, we are all designed from the dust, unquote. We will link that article in the episode notes, 11 Reasons, 11 Reasons Why Spurgeon Was Depressed. Now, perhaps some of you are thinking to yourselves right about now, what in the world does Charles Spurgeon's depression have to do with my being discontent? Well, it has to do with it as Spurgeon's sufferings can help us to better understand and develop a biblical theology of both contentment and discontentment. Consider again what the Apostle Paul said in one of the verses I cited earlier, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now, we Christians like to quote that verse a lot, okay? But as is too often the case with many of our other pet verses of Scripture, we often quote Philippians 4.11 in complete ignorance of what it actually means in context. You were just talking about that, uh, Omaha. Mm -hmm. The word learned in Philippians 4.11 is the Greek verb manthano. That's the same Greek word as the word disciple. Manthano, M-A-N-T-H-A-N-O. That word learned in the Greek means to increase in knowledge so as to become accustomed to or intimately acquainted with a thing. Now, I want to exegete that word learn, Omaha, because it is important for us to understand what the word means in verse 11 of Philippians 4, 
so that we might rightly understand what Paul is saying in verses 12 and 13 of that same chapter. Mm -hmm. Verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 4. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. Now, it's because, of, it's because of what the Apostle Paul said in verse 11 that he was able to say what he did in verses 12 and 13. Listen, good. The, the only reason Paul could say, I know how to get along with humble means and how to live in prosperity is because he learned how to do that. Mm-hmm. How else would Paul have been able to say that he'd learned to be content in quote, whatever circumstances, unquote, he found himself unless God had providentially ordained that he experienced the circumstances through which he learned to be content. So you see, Omaha, all too often, you see, we pray that God would bring it into our trials when what we should pray is that he will help us to endure them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Joe, Joe, Job had that kind of mindset. Yes. Job had that kind of mindset. That is precisely why Job could say to his wife in Job chapter two, verse 10, after being admonished by her literally to curse God and die Mm. after having his entire family and all his material possessions destroyed and taken away from him. She admonished Job to curse God and, and die. But Job responded to her. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? You see, that's Ecclesiastes 714 again. Uh Job got it. He told his wife, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? You know, it's Pastor John MacArthur in a message titled The Faith That Doesn't Fail. And I would strongly encourage everyone within the sound of my voice, mm-hmm. go to the Grace to You website, gty.org, and watch that sermon, The Faith That Doesn't Fail by John MacArthur. He gave that sermon, uh, MacArthur gave that sermon at um, R.C. Sproul's former church, St. Andrew's mm-hmm. Chapel in Orlando, Florida, in September 2015. And in that sermon, The Faith That Doesn't Fail, John MacArthur said this. He said, the greatest thing the Lord can give you is a hard trial that proves the validity of your saving faith, unquote. Mm. Now, those penetrating words from John MacArthur, I want to repeat that. MacArthur said, the greatest thing the Lord can give you is a hard trial that proves the validity of your saving faith. Those words that MacArthur spoke bring me back to the sufferings of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon, like the Apostle Paul, learned contentment by experience, which is why I so appreciate these words, which he originally spoke, talking about Spurgeon. These words that that Spurgeon originally spoke on April 10th, 1859, in a sermon titled The Best of Masters. The Best of Masters. In that sermon, Spurgeon says this, quote, This is the miraculous mistake of man, that he is always beginning to live, but he never does live. He always intends to be satisfied, but he never is. Mm. He always means to sit down in contentment, but that period never arrives. He always has something to vex him, but still hopes the day shall come when he shall be vexed no more, Mm. unquote. Charles Spurgeon from his sermon in 1859, The Best of Masters, Spurgeon described discontentment in that sermon as the miraculous mistake of man. And I think scripture gives us a good picture of what that miraculous mistakes look like, looks like in Job chapter 31, verses 24 through 28, which, of course, I shall read from the non-Arminian Standard Bible. 
I'm gonna have to get Joe some scriptures. I'm, I'm gonna have to get some scriptures. <laughs> I, I gotta, I, I got, I gotta make a comeback with the elect standard. We, we, the we, coming, we coming back, people. Just, just bear with me. We coming back. Job 31 verses 24 through 28, sort of aligning with what Spurgeon mentioned as the miraculous mistake of man. Job says this: If I have put my confidence in gold and called find gold my trust, if I have gloated because my wealth was great. And because my hand had secured so much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon going into splendor and my heart became secretly enticed and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth, that too would have been an iniquity calling for judgment for I would have denied God, unquote. That's Job 31 verses 21, I'm sorry, verses 24 through 28. Now, containing those words from Job, is the quote-unquote miraculous mistake that each one of us makes when we put our confidence and trust in anything or anyone other than the God who gives life and breath to every living thing. Amen. 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 That's Job chapter 12, verse 10. Listen to these words from the Puritan theologian Thomas Watson, who happens to be my favorite Puritan of all time. Watson, in his book, The Art of Divine Contentment, says this, quote, A contented Christian does not seek to choose his cross, but leaves God to choose for him. He is content with both for the kind and the duration. A contented spirit says, let God apply what medicine he pleases and let it remain as long as it will. I know that when it has done its cure and eaten the venom of sin out of my heart, God will take it off again. Unquote. Wow. Thomas Watson from the book, The Art of Divine Contentment. Now, I believe the perspective expressed here by Thomas Watson is echoed in these words from the theologian Arthur Walkington Pink, more familiar to us as A.W. Pink, who said this. I I, I don't think I knew it was Walkington. I didn't think I knew it was Walkington. I always knew A.W., but I I didn't know know Walkington. That's why you need to listen to the Just Thinking podcast. Yeah, that's why. That's why. That's why I'm glad. That's why I'm glad I connected to Just Thinking, man. That's why. That's why I'm glad I'm connected to Just Thinking, man. No doubt. A.W. Pink says this on contentment. He says, instead of a river, God often gives us a brook, which may be running today and dried up tomorrow. Why? To teach us not to rest in our blessings, but in the Blesser Himself. Amen. Unquote. A.W. Pink, author Walkington Pink yeah. on contentment. Thoughts on that, Omaha? Well, first, I'm still laughing about the Arthur Walkington part and that I need, to listen, to just, I need to listen to Just Thinking just to keep you up. You need to subscribe man. to the podcast. I need to subscribe to, to the man. podcast and listen, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to be connected, man. No you, doubt. You, actually, you actually learn things on this podcast, Omaha. I, I learn things like on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the other th- the other thing is, man, I was I almost almost when you when you mentioned uh, how much you you enjoy enjoy uh, uh, Spurgeon, I almost said, man, Thomas Watson's got to be a close second for you, man. Dude, he he, listen as a Puritan, Thomas Watson's number one. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Watson no in doubt. my book, Thomas Watson is number one. But just as yeah. as my overall theological hero, Spurgeon's yeah. right up there, bro. Yeah, yeah. Well, two two thoughts rang true for me when you said when you said this. You said all too often. We pray that God would bring an end to our trials when what we should pray is that he would help us endure them. That was a mic drop. 
absolutely a mic drop. That, that's a that's a great deal for us to think through. However, we have the whole of Scripture to thank for such a thought, as it as as it consistently reminds us of this truth. Scripture consistently reminds us of the truth that you just expressed. If if we remain in Philippians, as we discussed earlier, we see that Paul was in prison as he writes his letter to the church at Philippi. He reminds us of his joy and contentment, even as a man in chains bound to a Roman guard, as he thinks through whether it's better for him to live or to be with Christ. In, in Philippians chapter one, verses 19 through 24, Paul says this. Yes, and I rejoice. Wait, wait, let me let me go back. This is from the uh, elect standard version. <laughs> I, I, I got I got a little I got a little ahead of myself. Let me make sure to put that out. This is this is the elect standard version. Elect you, you, standard sound, version. You, you, you sound a little discontent with me quoting from the NESB. No, 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 or, no, no. There's, there's no, there's no discontent. There's no, there's no, I, I just I just need to get that equal time in on the on the elect standard. That's all. I just got to get equal time for us elect standard people. So that's that's all. Paul says this. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will not turn out for my. De- this will turn out rather for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. Right, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or in death. Let me let me stop there and explain. He 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 mentions this will be for his deliverance, but what he what he's not looking for is life alone, right? His deliverance mm-hmm. will come either in life or in death. Either way, right. It, right. It's, it's sufficient mm-hmm. for him. Verse 21 says this, for me to, 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 to validate that point, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh by me, that, that means fruitful, la- fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. How many of us can honestly say, Given our our status, our situation, that we are hard pressed between the the the, the ultimate good and what we would see as deliverance uh-huh. from, or deliverance uh-huh. through, right? Uh-huh. As as we uh-huh. continue to go through the trial, how many of us would uh-huh. honestly say that either way we're going to be blessed because our hope is actually uh-huh. in Christ? Uh-huh. He fi- uh-huh. he finishes up by saying, "My desire is to is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account." Now, now notice what he doesn't pray for in that. Notice what he's not asking for in that. He isn't praying for his own release from prison. Uh, he, he isn't right. praying that the prison doors would open as they once had, uh, as Paul was in Philippi, as he was in a Philippian jail, the doors opened up. He's not, he's not praying, I pray that the, that the doors opened up as they did when I was in Philippi. He's not writing that to the, to the people at the church there. His prayer is that Christ would be honored in his body, whether by life, or by death. So the question is, how many times do we have this mindset during critical times in life's journey? I, I also, I'll say this, and, and I also remembered that quote that you gave from John MacArthur in that message titled, The Faith mm-hmm. That Doesn't Fail, uh, right. and, and which, in which he said, quote, the greatest thing the Lord can give you is a hard trial that proves the validity of your saving mm-hmm. faith. If you, yeah. if you, li- I encourage you to re-listen to that, not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over again. When he said that, it, it, you, you, when you listen to a preacher, I mean, you, you, you may be kind of, your mind may have a tendency to wander. You got to kind of bring it back and stay focused on the message. 
when he said that, it was almost like a punch in the gut. It, it was, was almost it was like a punch in the gut as as he was unpacking the truth of that statement via scripture. And I remember my jaw hitting the floor when MacArthur mm-hmm. made that statement. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as I listened, I had to simply say amen when I heard the statement. Of all the things that MacArthur stated during that sermon, those particular words stuck with me as I realized how seldom I've thought that way regarding a hard trial and how it would encourage right. us to think that way moving forward. Well, I was right there with you, Omaha. I mean, that was me. I had to yeah. acknowledge that. No, that's not me. Yeah, yeah. That's not me. I, I don't I don't look at my trials as blessings. It's like you said from Philippians 129. Yeah. You're being yeah. granted to us not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer yes. for his sake. Yes. You yes. know, you know, c- Christianity, and I know we are sort of uh diverging off the off the path here, but we'll get back on it. Christianity is a cross-bearing worldview, is a cross-bearing faith. Absolutely. We must bear our own cross. I mean, the gospel is clear. Christ in his own words reiterated that, that he was not willing to take up his own cross. Right. Cannot be by disciple. You cannot. Right. right. So, but when MacArthur said that, man, I wanted to just crawl under my desk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean seriously, yeah. the best thing that God, the Lord can give you is a hard trial. <laughs> I mean, dude, I was like, I was speechless because I, was because speechless. I knew yeah. I knew that that's not me. That's not the way I think. No, I know that. I no. know that's not the way I think, no. you know, and if but, we're, but if we're, absolutely if we're right. on, yeah, if we're honest, most of us don't think that way. And he's absolutely right. And again, we, there's a lot of things we could blame. We could blame the culture we live in. We could blame the, 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 the comfortable Christianity that we engage in. We could, we could blame all kinds of things, but the reality is even in this context, man, there are some hard things that we go through personally. And when we do, do we view them through that lens? And and I had to, I, like you, brother, I had to say, I, I really don't, man. If, if something, yep. something hit, if something hit my family or, or Corona, God forbid, hit my family, I wouldn't look at that as a hard trial for which I could thank God because I know that the testing of my faith will prove sure and true. Um, I, 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 I now, I now have the benefit of having been challenged by someone who, uh, who, who, who's preaching the unadulterated word of God so that I can reflect upon that as I enter. I thank God for that truth being, yeah. being given to me prior to the trial so that I can reflect on it as I go through. I'm thankful for, for mediums like this, like what we're doing right now as we right. navigate this right. so that, that, that the very words I'm speaking into this microphone as you and I sit down to record this particular episode can be something that I remember at the point at which trials come. You know, Omaha, you talk about how we in contemporary Christianity, especially in America, mm-hmm. where we've got it so easy. Mm-hmm. Christianity in America is so easy. You know, I talk about how uh, MacArthur's comment affected us and impacted us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm looking at in, in, in sort of hindsight of what you just commented on. Um, I just grabbed my Bible real quick and I went to Acts I chapter it. five. I heard you turn in Acts the pages. chapter five. I went to Acts chapter five in my non-Armenian standard Bible. And I'm looking at Acts five verses 40 and 41. Listen to this. Listen to, and and I'm bringing this up to serve as a uh, window looking back to how the, the New Testament church in the earliest days of the New Testament church responded to legit persecution. I'm not talking about the kind of misinterpreted 
warped, twisted kind of quote unquote persecution that a lot of Christians today think that these COVID-19 restrictions are heaving, <laughs> heaving upon us. Right, right, right. Listen, and let me say this. See, now you got me going. Yeah, yeah, let yeah. Let me say this. Yeah, yeah. This, this is not persecution, church, okay? This is not persecution. This is not organized, structured, deliberate persecution simply because you're frustrated with the fact that your church can't gather in person right now. Let me read to you some real persecution. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41. Uh-huh. They took his advice, okay? They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Mm. They flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. Verse 41 of Acts 5. So they went on their way. That is the apostles. The apostles went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, I know you can't trust the internet when it comes to news, Mm -hmm. but I haven't seen one instance of a Christian being flogged Mm. or being told that they cannot even speak the name of Jesus. That's persecution. Right, that you right. can't gather in person right now. You know that's temporary. You know that. Mm-hmm. But people are trying to interpret that as persecution. Mm-hmm. I think about, you know, you're talking about Paul and the mindset that he had in prison. I think back to Daniel 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right. They reflected that same attitude to King Nebuchadnezzar. They knew. They were convinced. They were totally convinced. Listen, we're going to be delivered one way or the other. <laughs> right, right, right. Either God's going to deliver us out of this fire, mm-hmm. or, as they said, even if he does not. Right. That's yeah. when you know you are maturing in your faith. When you can say to God, when you can make a petition to him, and at the same time, you mentioned the word honestly earlier, Omaha. When you can mm-hmm. make a petition to God, you're in a situation where you don't see a way out of, and you're asking God for a way out of this, mm-hmm. but you can say at the same time, even if you don't, right? that's when you know. See, that's yeah. when you know you are growing as a Christian. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I still, I still call, I still call him Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad Negro. So I just, I still, <laughs> I still, I, get, I still got them old black church ways. <laughs> one bad Bro, you, Negro. You just, you, you just okay. killed, you just killed, <laughs> you just killed, you just killed any shot we have at getting a sponsor for this podcast. <laughs> any shot with that. <laughs> I'll clean it up, man. Listen, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be good on every other, on every other episode. This is just one. I threw that out there. Won't happen again. How about that? (laughs) I apologize. Won't happen again. No, you're on on a on a serious note, though. On a serious note, you're absolutely right. Yes, MacArthur, Lord, create in me. If I could paraphrase David and kind of chop up his words from Psalm 51, create in me, O Lord, the kind of heart. Where I can accept from you that a hard trial is a blessing. Yes, absolutely. It's a blessing. Yeah. But no, we don't think that way. Me, hey, me, yours truly, first yeah. in line, bro. I'm first right in there. line. I'm right there with you. And you, you know, Omaha, as we continue to dissect this idea of Christian contentment, 
I want to share with our listeners a passage from the book Practical Religion by the great theologian J.C. Ryle. In Practical Religion, J.C. Ryle said this, quote, Wonderful as it may seem to some, all the money in the world is worthless in God's balances compared to grace. Hard as the saying may sound, I believe that a converted beggar is far more important and honorable in the sight of God than an unconverted king. The one may glitter like the blood of, the one may glitter like the butterfly in the sun for a little season and be admired by an ignorant world, but his latter end is darkness and misery forever. The other may crawl through the world like a crushed worm and be despised by everyone who sees him. But his latter end is a glorious resurrection and a blessed eternity with Christ. We may be very sure that riches and worldly greatness are no certain marks of God's favor. I want to repeat that because there's some prosperity folks out there who need to hear this. We may be very sure that riches and worldly greatness are no certain marks of God's favor. On the contrary, they are often a snare and hindrance to a man's soul. They make him love the world and forget God. We may be no less sure that poverty and trial are no certain proof of God's anger. There are often blessings in disguise. They are always sent in love and wisdom. They often serve to wean us from the world. They teach us to set our affections on things above. Then Rao closes with this. One great secret of happiness in this life is to be of a patient and contented spirit. Strive daily to realize the truth that this life is not the place of reward. Unquote. Man. J.C. Ryle from Practical Religion. Now, as I reflect on Mahal and those words from J.C. Ryle, I can't help but be reminded that nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture's are believers commanded or exhorted to pursue happiness? Right. Nowhere. In fact, quite the opposite. Now, mm-hmm. I say that in light of what Jesus commands us in John chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for yes. the food which endures to eternal life, which the yeah. Son of Man will give you. For on him, the Father God has set his seal. So Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes. The Christian who is discontent, I want to be clear in this. The Christian who is discontent is a walking contradiction. Wow. He he or she, he or she is the very antithesis of what it truly means to be a Christian. Mm. Regardless of the difficult and challenging circumstances in which you may find yourself currently, as a Christian, you should be the most joyous person that anyone else will ever come across. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that in light of these words from Valley of Vision. You're not familiar with what Valley of Vision is. Valley of Vision is a book of Puritan prayers. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go out and get a copy, read it at your own risk, because there is some <laughs> convicting stuff in Valley of Vision. Okay, the Puritans did not take prayer or sin lightly. Okay. Value of vision, every Christian should have at least one copy and then an extra copy to give away to someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, listen to what it says here, value of vision in the prayer entitled Service and Equipment. Service and Equipment from the Value of Vision. Quote, thou God of my end, 
Thou hast given me a fixed disposition to go forth and spend my life for thee. If it be thy will, let me proceed in it. If not, then revoke my intentions. All I want in life is such circumstances as may best enable me to serve thee in the world. To this end, I leave all my concerns in thy hand. But let me not be discouraged, for this hinders my spiritual fervency. Enable me to undertake some task for thee, for this refreshes and animates my soul so that I can endure all hardships and labors and be willing to suffer for thy name. That's from the value of vision in the prayer service and equipment. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 39, we find one of the most profound rhetorical questions to be found anywhere in the entire Bible. Lamentations 3.39. Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? Why should any mortal? Why should Daryl offer complaint in view of his sins? In Job 33.13. Job's friend Elihu asked Job, why do you complain against God that he does not give an account of all his doings? Listen, I will never understand how any truly regenerate Christian can be discontent who has even the smallest degree of appreciation for the fact that they have been eternally delivered from the wrath of God and by none other than God himself. Will someone please tell me, how is that even possible? How is it for a truly regenerate Christian to be discontent who has an appreciation that they've been delivered from the wrath of God? Mm-hmm. Listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9 is about contentment. It's about being content. Lord, make me content. You know, Omaha, it was the beloved church father, Augustine, who once prayed, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. (laughs) Now, I mentioned that because there are countless professing Christians in the world today who possess a similar mindset when it comes to the idea of contentment. Yeah. They may, they may not be so transparent as to express that attitude as a prayer, mm-hmm. as, as Augustine did, mm-hmm. but it's no less a heart attitude that is resident within them. They say with their mouth that they want God to conform them to, to the image of Christ, as it says in Romans 8.29, but in their heart, they don't really mean that. Mm-hmm. They're not really serious about counting it all joy, as we're commanded to do in James chapter 1, verse 2, so that we might become more mature in our walk with Christ through the trials that God providentially ordains that we go through. In other words, their Christianity is a matter of convenience rather than conviction. Hmm. It's those kinds of people that I believe Charles Spurgeon had in mind in his sermon titled All the Day Long, which he preached on June 22nd, 1890, in which he made this comment, quote, Every Sunday morning, some folks take out their godliness and touch it up while they are turning while they're turning the brush round their best hat or their best bonnet. Mm-hmm. When the Sunday is over, 
and their best things are put away, they have also put away their best thoughts and their best behavior. We must have a seven days religion or else we have none at all. Periodical godliness, Spurgeon says, is perpetual hypocrisy. Wow. Periodical godliness is perpetual hypocrisy. Thoughts on that one, Omaha. Wow, man. Just the the weight the weight and magnitude of what you just unpacked in that section is that all of that could have been a show all by itself. I mean, really, it really could have been, especially when you when you think about what what Spurgeon is is saying. It's funny when you when you read Spurgeon, listen to listen to quotes from Spurgeon, you would think that he's living in our day and time. I mean, that, that's the that's the impression you get with some of the, with with the specificity with which he which with he, with which he deals with uh, specific issues. You're just going, wow! Like that was, was that printed yesterday in the newspaper or something? You know yep. what, was, mm-hmm. what was going on? The same can be said of the quote you use with with JC JC Riles. And and I I thought about this when you when when you quoted Riles and he said, "We may be sure, we may be very sure that the riches and worldly greatness." are no certain marks of God's favor. On the contrary, they are too often a snare and a hindrance to a man's soul. They make him love the world and forget God. And I think it's easy for us as, as, as believers, as, as Bible believers, as those who, who, who consider themselves part of the, part of the Reformed tribe, to, to look at, at prosperity preachers and say, hey, yeah, that's them over there. When, mm-hmm. when in actuality, man, that's us. Yes, yeah. us. Bingo. Yep. And, and and if we really examine our own hearts, especially in light of all of the stuff you mentioned earlier, you talked about the 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 the, un, the, the unrest with regard to not being able to meet at churches at, at different times. And listen, I, 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 I we probably should put a caveat to what we're not saying. I, I don't think I'll, I'll speak for myself. I know you I know you're well able to do the same for yourself. But 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 I, I I'm not opposed to a believer asking asking questions. And, and asking these kinds of questions, saying, you know what, I, I know we're making decisions based upon the science, I, I know, but, but let's look at the science objectively with regard to our social distancing, our separation, how long we endure. I think that's a fair question. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that. But when it gets to the point where you're, you're in social media every day with the next conspiracy theory and, and, and you're, 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 you're ready to march on Washington – I, I, I th- or to the point that you made earlier, which I thought was a was a very valid valid point. When 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 you talked about we think of ourselves as being persecuted as believers, as a result of what we're engaged in at this time, I think we've gone too far. I agree. I, I, that's exactly that's exactly the point I was making. That's exactly the point I was trying to make. And looking at this current situation up against Acts five, listen, I can go through many many passages in the book of Acts and show you examples of how the church legit suffered, legit were persecuted, okay? No comparison to what's going on today. Absolutely zero. So that's the point I'm trying to make. So I appreciate what you're saying right now, Omaha. I just want to make it clear what we aren't saying and what we are saying. And, right. and I think I think I think for I think at, at this place in, in in our in our commentary, I think it's it's good to make some some distinctions about that. We we definitely want to um I think there's room for dialogue. There's room for asking questions, there's 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 no room to connect ourselves to the idea that there's some there's some government intended persecution of the church. 
I even think it's valid for us to look at what's happening in New York uh, with yeah. regard to with regard to the Jewish community and compare that to what's happening in for for Muslims. I, I think that I think that's a fair comparison. Uh, mm. But at the, at the end of the day, I, I think what we're talking about in this particular episode is not whether or not it's it's fair to make those arguments. We're talking about the condition of our own hearts. Right. And we're examining right. and we're examining our hearts against the backdrop of, of the quote that that was made earlier by, by MacArthur. Are, are we looking at trials, which which I wouldn't say this is persecution. It may well be a trial and it may have a lot of different looks to it. It may it may look like, man, this is tough not being able to gather with the saints. You know, this is right. This yeah. Is and, and, that, and, and if I could just interrupt you one more time, sure. Omaha, sure. that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Don't listen, please don't call this persecution. Call it what you will, but this is not persecution. Okay, right. that's the only point I'm making here, man. So thanks for adding your flavor in the con- and, and putting it in a better context than I did. But that's the ultimate summary. If I could summarize it, that's exactly what I'm saying. We got people out there referring to these inconveniences, comparatively speaking, compared to the uh, early New Testament church as persecution. No, it's not. Right. It, it, yeah, it is a trial, and I said. That's that's why I went there in uh, sort of giving some uh, some, some uh, examples of what I experienced in my own life. Sure. I, I, I know I said that at the very top. I know there are people out here suffering. I know there are people out here suffering individually as a family. But my concern is with folks who are making the uh, or, or they're describing and interpreting. The fact that we can't gather corporately as a body, as persecution. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. That's totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just want to make that point. We really need to stop jumping through these, taking these quantum leaps, yeah, like you good. alluded to earlier, of, 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 of uh, conspiracy theory. Take each situation on this individual case, like you said, Omaha, mm-hmm. contrasting what's happening in New York mm-hmm. uh, with the Jews. Uh, mm-hmm. To what's happening with Muslims, mm-hmm. uh, and listen, let's let, let's look first of all. Let's look to Scripture. That's great for 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 the filter through which we see the world. It's like I say all the time: Scripture is both a mirror and a window, but it is first a mirror to see mm-hmm. ourselves before it is a window to see the world. That's great. That's okay, great. Scripture is first a mirror so you can see ourselves, and that's what we're trying to do. Here. We're looking at our own hearts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're using mm-hmm. the scripture as a mirror. You use the, you use the mirror first, then you use scripture to as a window to see out into the world. Yeah, it's it's interesting though because I think for us as believers in a in a space, and we talked about this earlier in the episode, where we don't face as much direct person, we're not facing the persecution that third world countries face. We're not facing we're not facing no. the kind of persecution that someone in China who professes Christ and wants to glorify him in every way is going to, is going to, is going to encounter, right? We're not, we're not, we're not, we just, we just aren't. And so oftentimes what we'll do is we'll take situations like what's happening now where, where the government is saying rightly or wrongly, where the government is saying, we want social distancing, here's what we want to do. And and we'll, we'll attach the idea that we're being persecuted to that in an effort to kind of beat our chest and feel like we're like, like it's us against the world when that's really, right. that, 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 that's really, that's really a, a false idea about the issue of right. persecution. 
We'll look at a, a situation like cr- Christmas time when Starbucks doesn't put Merry Christmas on the coffee cup and right. ask act- activists as, <laughs> if as if that's some form of persecution. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. It, it, it's not. It, it, it isn't. So let, let's make sure that we've got right categories. Right Thank way you. in which we're thinking about these kinds of things. And and at the end of the day, with regard to this particular episode, that we are examining our hearts when faced with trials. This is a trial that we are engaged Indeed. in. Indeed. Indeed. The separation that we have from believers, the lack of, a, of, of opportunity to connect and, and, and engage in communion. If, if you're part of a church who, who's waiting before, be, who, who are waiting for the believers to gather together before they engage in that activity. Uh, there's, there's, we, we miss that. And our hearts need mm-hmm. to be right before God as we examine the, the text of scripture. That's all I wanted to say about that. Amen, brother. Thank you for that, Omaha. You know, as we prepare to close out this episode of the Just Thinking podcast, I want to take this issue of Christian contentment all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the book of Genesis. And when you really think about it, the first murder that ever occurred in human history occurred because of discontentment. Wow. Bottom line. Bottom line, when you really break that down, discontentment was the issue. Cain was not content with the fact that God had rejected his offering in favor of his brother Abel's. Instead of heeding God's warning about the sin that, according to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, was, quote, crouching at the door, unquote, of Cain's heart, Cain became so angry with his brother and with God that Cain murdered his brother. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because it is that same attitudinal spirit that Cain had toward both God and his brother that accompanies a discontented heart in you and me. Our susceptibility to that kind of Cainish, if you will, mindset is why we would do well to heed this warning from Charles Spurgeon, who said this. Listen closely. If you're listening, get the speaker really close to your ear because I want you to hear every single syllable of this. <laughs> Spurgeon said, quote, now contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, we must be especially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. Spurgeon says, contentment doesn't exist in us, in our fleshly nature. It must be cultivated in our new nature. He says, and even then we have to keep an eye on our hearts. Careful to be careful and watchful, Spurgeon said. Listen, discontentment gives birth to all kinds of other sins. And when you boil it down, Omaha, the adulterer is an adulterer because he or she is discontent. Mm. The thief steals because he or she is discontent. That's good. That's good. The covetous person covets what she or he or she doesn't have because they're discontent. Listen, discontentment is the soil from which countless other sins are fed and nurtured. Discontentment is a sin that must be mortified. 
And personally, Omaha, I don't know of a more arrogant sin than the sin of discontentment. Discontentment is such an arrogant sin because it is tantamount to telling God that you somehow deserve better than what he has providentially ordained for your life, despite what he has already done for you by rescuing you from an eternity in hell. Mm-hmm. Now, consider what I just said in light of these words in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he, that is Christ, has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That is what Christ has done for you if you're a believer. And you have the arrogance to be discontent. Listen, a primary reason so many Christians today are discontent is that they have no real regard or appreciation for how offensive their sin is to a holy God and for what it costs God in the death of his own son to have those sins forgiven. That's good. That's really good. Listen, John MacArthur in a sermon he preached in September 2018 from Psalm 103, he said this, quote, nothing more clearly demonstrates our remaining sin than the ease with which we forget such staggering love and blessing. Wow. Unquote. Listen, to be content is one of the, to be discontent rather, to be discontent is one of the most dangerous and perilous sins a believer can commit because to not be content is to not trust in the character of the God who has promised to meet your every need. Now, Omaha, if you'll allow me, I want to go off script here. I want to read something else from Thomas Watson from uh, from the book that I uh, quoted from earlier, his book, The Art of Divine Contentment. Mm -hmm. Watson said this in that book. Hang in here with me, folks. Quote, discontent is to the soul as a disease is to the body. It puts it out of temper and much hinders its regular and sublime motions heavenward. Discontent is hereditary and no doubt is much augmented by the many sad eclipses and changes that have fallen out of late in the political body. Yet the disease is not to be excused because it is natural, but resisted because it is sinful. That which should put us out of love with this sullen distemper is the contemplation of the beautiful queen of contentment. I do not know of any ornament in religion that more bespangles a Christian or glitters in the eye of God and man more than this of contentment. How should every Christian be ambitious to wear such a sparkling diamond? And why not be contented? Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? Man of all creatures has the least cause to be discontented. Do you deserve anything from God? Does he owe you anything? Why then are you discontented? Why do you give way to this irrational and hurtful sin of discontent? May the good Lord humble his own people for nourishing such a viper in their breast as not only cuts out the bowels of their comfort, but spits venom in the face of God himself. Oh, Christian, if you are overspread with the spreading leprosy of discontentment, you carry the man of sin about you, for you set yourself above God 
and act as if you were wiser than he and would sassily prescribe to him what condition is best for you. Unquote. Thomas Watson from the Art of Divine Contentment. Yeah, so Omaha, you know, in his book, uh, I want to just follow up that quote from uh, Watson with these words from Jeremiah Burroughs from his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. This is Jeremiah Burroughs from The Rare Jewel of of Christian Contentment. Quote, a man who has learned the art of contentment is the most contented with any low condition that he has in the world. And yet he cannot be satisfied with the enjoyment of all the world. He is contented if he has but a crust, but bread and water. That is, if God disposes of him for the things of the world, to have but bread and water for this present condition, he can be satisfied with God's disposal in that. Yet if God should give unto him kingdoms and empires, all the worlds to rule, if he should give it to him for his portion, he would not be satisfied with that. Here's the mystery of it. Though his heart is so enlarged, that the enjoyment of all the world and 10,000 worlds cannot satisfy him for his portion, yet he has a heart quieted under God's disposal if he give him but bread and water, unquote. That was Jeremiah Burroughs from the Red Jewel of Christian Contentment. Now, before I hand it over to you, Omaha, for some final thoughts, I want to leave our listeners with these words from the Puritan John Bunyan, from, who wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress, I'm familiar with Bunyan from that work. Mm-hmm. Bunyan said this, quote, it is said that in some countries trees will grow, but will bear no fruit because there is no winter there, unquote. I'm going to leave that quote for our listeners to digest on. OK, I'm not going to exposit that for them. But I love those words from Bunyan. It is said that in some countries trees will grow, but will bear no fruit because there is no winter there. In Omaha, finally, from my standpoint, I want to close out with Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34. Hopefully this will serve as some encouragement for our listeners as we get ready to close out this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. Matthew 6, 31 through 34. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles that is unbelievers eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry. And that word worry in the Greek means do not be troubled with cares. So do not worry, Jesus says, about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thoughts on all. I love love that man. Love the the way that that we're wrapping this up for everybody. I want to do a couple things before we close, and that is to remind folks that they're going to be able to catch you and I out at the Right Response Conference out in San Diego, California. The the, the they're gonna they're gonna be doing a, a phenomenal conference out there. Every knee shall bow. Uh, October twenty third and twenty fourth. That's a Friday and Saturday. If you're interested in checking that out, go to Right response r-i-g-h-t right response conference.com for more information daryl and i would love an opportunity uh, to meet you all out there so keep that in mind again right response conference san diego california the every knee shall bow conference friday and saturday october 23rd 
and 24th. And again, for anybody interested in connecting with us on, on PayPal, they can do so or partner with us on PayPal or Patreon uh, or sponsor an episode of the show. And you can catch us on Twitter or on Instagram at podcast underscore just. Of course, I know they could catch you on Twitter at what, Daryl? Uh, Daryl D. Harrison? Uh, no, D underscore B underscore Harrison. There you That's go. D underscore B underscore Harrison on Twitter. I'm on Twitter probably more than any any other social media platform that I'm on. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Hit me up there. And, and you can you absolutely you can catch you can catch me, Virgil W L K R Omaha. Omaha. You can find me pretty easily. Well, we would love, we listen, we thoroughly enjoy connecting with those who are friends uh, and fans of the podcast. We really, really do. So we'd love to see you out at the Right Response Conference. Uh, we'd love to catch up with you on Twitter and the like. And if you're interested in partnering with us for sponsorship, do so. All the information will be in the show notes. Until next time, we look forward to an opportunity to connect with you. Have an incredible week. God bless. The Just Thinking Podcast, hosted by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, is a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, and theologically challenging program that boldly and unapologetically addresses social, political, and cultural issues from a biblical worldview. With an international listenership that stretches from the United States and Canada to Romania, Nicaragua, and Mongolia, the Just Thinking Podcast breaks through all ethnic, geographic, social, and cultural barriers to bring the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the issues confronting His church and His people. Subscribe to the Just Thinking Podcast using the podcast app on your Apple or Android smart device, or you can listen online at thebarpodcast.com slash JT.